Welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. My name is Andy Neary. Each week, I sit down with abundant thinkers who are kicking ass in life. And we deconstruct the formulas they have used to have success in business and in life to help you unpack your life, your business, so you can do the same. So put a smile on, grab a pen and a paper, get ready to take a ton of notes because you, my friend, are about to go on a wild ride. Here we go. Hey, welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. My name is Andy Neary, and this is episode 57. This week, I sit down with Lisa Tomate. Lisa is the founding director of Lisa Tomate Enterprises and Running Hot Coaching. Lisa is also one badass Kiwi from New Zealand. She has spent the majority of her career as an ultra-endurance athlete, running in some of the world's most insane events. Check this out. She has raced from everywhere, from running across the Sahara over to the Gobi Desert on the continent of Africa. She has run across Death Valley. She has run through the Himalayas. She even talks about a death-defying hike. She took through some of the world's most dangerous territory, the deserts of Niger on the continent of Africa. And we talk all things mindset and what it means to have a relentless mindset because that has defined Lisa's life and that defines her coaching. She works with endurance athletes to help them push their mental barriers. She helps them keep going when their mind is telling them they want to stop. And that is why Lisa's life has been so fascinating. That is why her coaching is so effective. She's also the author of three books, Relentless, Running Hot, and Running to Extremes. But what I am most excited to share with you about Lisa is the story of her mother. It is probably the most amazing coaching Lisa has ever provided in her life. You see, Lisa's mom suffered an aneurysm years ago, which left her in a vegetative state. But it was through Lisa's relentlessness Lisa's unwillingness to give up and her coaching that helped her mother all the way back to living a normal life. You're going to be absolutely fascinated by the story. Heck, you're going to be fascinated by Lisa. Most people in the United States probably don't know who she is, but by the time this episode is over, I think you're going to fall in love with this woman. So as I always say, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, get ready to take a lot of notes and get ready to have your mind blown and your mind challenged. All right. Here we go. Shift your mindset. Lisa Tomedy, welcome aboard. I'm so glad to have you. How are you today? I'm absolutely awesome, and I'm stoked to be here. Thanks, Andy, for having me on your show. Uh, no, this is going to be fun. I always get to uh, – I love when I get to have athletes on because, yeah. you know, we, you and I talked about this before the, show, the episode about yeah. how sports teaches – uh, teaches us so much about life and business, right? And I know we'll get into your sports background, which is pretty epic. Uh, and so I'm excited to do that. But before we dive into that, why don't you, you know, for many of my listeners, there's probably a good chance they may not know who you are. So why don't you just introduce them to Lisa Tomedy and let them know yeah. how, who the heck you are and what's your story? Yeah. Oh, thanks, Andy. Yeah, so I'm from New Zealand. So yeah, I'm a Kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> So I live right down the bottom of the world, and it's a good place to be right now with uh, COVID. Cause we which which means, by the way, it's about to become <laughs> summer there, right? Exactly. All yeah. Right, we're, okay. we're, and, and we're in the future, so <laughs> we're ahead of you guys. Um, and I um, ha have been an so ultra-marathon athlete, so ultra-endurance, super long-distance um, endurance runner, 
um, 25 years experience sort of racing in the world's sort of toughest endurance events. So everywhere from, you know, the Sahara to Death Valley in the States, which was epic, um, to the Himalayas, to China, to you name it, Europe, all around the world. Um, and had many highs and lows in that sort of journey. And, you know, the funny thing is, Andy, I've, I've done this, you know, massive amounts of, of these super crazy long distance races, which can go over days, um, but I'm not a very good runner. <laughs> I'm not very talented. It wasn't much about talent and more about grit and determination and wanting to do it. So, yeah, that's probably a good place to start. Well, so let's, let's go right to it because there might be people listening in going, okay, ultra marathons. First of yep. all, define ultra marathon. Well, anything over the marathon distance is sort of an ultra marathon. So, uh, we, we think in kilometers over here, you're in miles. So the, the marathon is 42 Ks or 26 miles. So yep. anything that's over the 50 kilometer mark is considered an ultra marathon. And there are races that are 80, 100 K, 100 milers. You've got a lot of 100 milers in the States, 200, 300, and even races that go right across continents um, over many days. Um, so yeah, there's a, it's a broad spectrum of types of races and some are, uh, run on the roads with crews and others are across deserts with all your own gear and it's a real adventure, you know. So that sort of a span of, of all the different types of ultra marathons. And you've got a couple of really famous guys over there that people may know of, like Dean Canassis, who's a good friend, and Scott Jurek and David Goggins and people like that. So that's what they do. That's what I do. So Okay. So did I hear you say you did an ultra marathon through Death Valley? Yes, twice. <laughs> oh, okay. That's an epic so, race. <laughs> so I got to ask you, of all the ultra endurance races you've done, which one was the craziest? Uh, it wasn't actually Death Valley. I'd say there's a, there's a couple that I had absolutely horrific experiences with. One was uh, running across a place called Niger, which is deep in the African Sahara, and it was 333 kilometers, and I ended up getting food poisoning on the, about an hour before the race began, because <laughs> I ate some goat stew the, goat stew the night before, and uh, it didn't go down well. So that's not a good way to start a race across the Sahara. And the week before, my then husband had asked for a divorce, so I wasn't in a good space either, oh, and it was one of the most dangerous countries on earth, and most scariest races I've ever been in. Uh, so that actually ended in spectacular failure after 222 case. So uh, that was probably the worst. <laughs> um, By the, the way, for the athletes listening in, yeah, no goat stew before a race. No, <laughs> definitely not one that's been on the Land Rover for three days. <laughs> but our food hadn't arrived on the airplane that was meant to come with us. So we were down to local food and that was it. So, yeah, that wasn't a good move. Um, so what that pretty bad so what you know let's walk through like a typical race maybe not the craziest race you ever done but a typical race because we just talked about how sports can teach us so much about business and life right yeah and so maybe yeah. from a from the mental angle when yeah. you are going through an ultra marathon race whether it's 30 miles or 300 yeah what's going on between the ears what 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 are what's the 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 mental the self-talk you have to have or the, the things you have to do to, to complete an ultra marathon successfully. Yeah. Oh, this is my favorite topic. And you know, like it's, it starts in the preparation, Andy, because it's, it's all about like when you decide you're going to take on a massive challenge, like say running through death Valley, let's take that race. Cause people in America will know that one. 
It's 100 and, uh, what is it, in miles, one, 135 miles through the hottest desert on earth. Temperatures up to 57 degrees, absolutely insane. Huge mountain passes in the middle. When you take on something like this, I mean, you've obviously been preparing for years and you have the discipline already to do the training and to uh, really be able to push your, your mind and your body to the limits. But you have to understand what your why is. So, you know, you hear people banding around, you know, know what your why is and, and stuff. But this is really true because when you... When you're going into something like this, you know you are going to go through hell, literally, and Death Valley is pretty much close to hell as on earth as it gets. Uh, you're going to go through hell mentally, physically, and you have to have a strong motivating force to get you through those tough times. So you have to have prepared mentally. You're like, I can't like be here today and then tomorrow go and run Death Valley. It's months of mental preparation plus the physical preparation, if that makes sense. Fun. And then when you're in the actual uh, race, the, the, the days before, uh, the fear can be overwhelming, you know, because you're facing down the barrel of some horrifically big thing. And up until that point, it's all been theory because you've been just, it's all been on paper and you've been doing your training and you've been diligent and all that sort of jazz but now it's like oh my god this is really happening and I'm really doing this and it starts to become really really frightening so you have to uh, be able to control the fear to a degree you can't get rid of it completely because you're not an you know inhuman you we we have fear responses but it's been able to understand now what can I do to control the fear to the degree that I can still function and that's doing things like filling your mind uh, with positivity and people around you that are telling you that you're going to. So I remember a, a, a race in the Himalayas, for example, that was over the two highest mountain passes in the world, 222Ks, and it was at extreme altitude. And I'm an asthmatic, and I'm no good in the mountains, and I'm no good in the cold, and I've never been up to sort of, you know, 5,800 metres before in my life. I've had the worst build-up. I've had uh, a brain concussion. I've had uh, a ripped ankle. I haven't been able to train for weeks. I'm absolutely terrified, in other words, heading into this race. But I'm there. I've got my film crew. I've got my other crews. You know, like this is like this is happening whether I like it or not. So I got, I got to the point where like 48 hours before this race, I thought I'm either going to crumble and fall to pieces and just, you know, totally um, embarrass myself and go home or I get my shit together. And... I decided I would get my crew around me and I'd tell them, you have to fill me with positivity. Every time I start to say, but, but this and this fear and that fear, I want you to shout it down. I want you to tell me that I'm fantastic, that we're going to do this and this is going to be awesome. And I want you to protect me. So you, you need people around you. In other words, a team that will tell you that you can do this and that you will make it and that you shout those, those little voices inside your head that can overwhelm you. And then you stop thinking and just do. So you start to just take the little steps to get to that start line. And you stop thinking. Every time a, a, a really frightening thought comes and that stress response starts to happen, you start to breathe into it. You start to do some meditation if you can. You get your friends around you. You listen to their support. And then you take on this big beast. And I think, you know, those are a couple of the key lessons. Being able to function when you're scheduleless and when... Uh, you're up against it and then and being understanding why the heck you're doing this and what is it that's motivating you you know like when I'm in the middle of a race 
And I'm like, I cannot, I just don't know how I can take another step. I'm in absolute agony. I might be vomiting. My energy might be in the gutter. I might be passing out from sleep de deprivation. The thoughts that go through my head are things like, if your mother's life depended on it, would you quit now? Or would you take one more step? And the answer is always, of course, I'd take one more step. Well, then you can take another step. And it's a matter of digging into those resources and releasing the power behind those resources, if that makes sense. That's so that you can pull it out of yourself in the moment when you need it. That's such a great segue because we're going to talk about your mom in a little bit here. Um, you know, what you just said, I hope people heard because there was a time in my life I competed in Ironman racing. And mm -hmm. not, you know, not to the extreme of, of some of the races you've done, but to the, to the lay person who understands what a triathlon is, they go, yeah, yeah you, you swim, bike, and run. But what they don't realize is there's a fourth sport, and it's called your mind. Yeah. Because you, would you agree that in preparing for all these races you've done, that you spent almost as much time working on your mind as you did the skill of running? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, like you have to know, you have to have the experience pacing and your energy strategies, what types of food and all, you know, what backpacks to wear if you're running across the desert, you have to know all that. There's this, yep. you know, and at the beginning I didn't, you just bumble along and you make mistakes and you fail and you, you know, you learn along the way. But the thing that I can't teach people as well is that grit and determination that you have to you have to go through some hardships in order to develop that strength partly you know like there's a saying that I love that used to be on my boxing club's wall you know strength comes from struggle and that is so true the more that you have to fight against a resistance whether that's weight training in the gym and you're lifting something heavy or, the, or you're going through something really tough in your life, that will make you stronger or it will break you. So you have to decide which way is it going to make you, know, make you go. And you have to develop a, a, a resilience and an ability to get back up again every time you get knocked down. And this is, a, this is a skill that really translates over into business and into your corporate life because you're going to get hit. In lo you know, if you live long enough, you're going to get stuff coming at you you're going to have horrible things happen to you you're going to experience hard times if you do not have that resilient nature where yes you might be down on the ground you might be failed you might be crying you might be broken but if you just stand back up again every time you know that is the key factor for someone who will be successful and ultra marathoning is about that it's not about the fastest guy in the block or girl it's not about muscle size. It's not about speed out of the gate. It's about who's got the right pacing strategy and who can handle the pain for the longest and who can manage their their mindset the longest. And and that those are the, this is why women especially do well in ultra marathoning compared to you know against men. Men are obviously great at it too, but the the. The, you know, the, the difference between the sexes, which can be quite big in other sports, is quite minimal in ultramarathon. That's a, you know, I never thought about that. That's a really good point because in many other sports you are competing on, let's call it, say, strength. Yeah, and it's, it's a fact, most men are stronger than women. But yeah. when you put the element of the mindset and resilience in there, ah, the playing field in the sports world just got leveled sports between man and woman. Yeah. You are absolutely, I really like <laughs> that. You know, here's another thing that you said earlier that 
I don't want to miss. And it's one of the best pieces of advice I was given when I was uh, racing in the Ironman competitions is there comes a point just before the race when that fear builds up in in Ironman for me, it was like that last week, you knew the race was on Sunday. It's like, uh Oh, I'm three days away. I'm two days away. But somebody gave me this advice. They said, eventually you have to realize the hay is in the barn. If you, if you have put the preparation in, you have to let go of the fear and know you prepared the best you could. For a lot of people, I think the reason that fear comes and it strikes right before is they may have not put in the right kind of preparation or enough of it. Yep. That that is often the case or they are holding on too much to the consequences of the, the race. What happens if I fail? What happens if I embarrass myself? What happens in this what ifing? You can't control. Like, honestly, you cannot control. You can have the best preparation. You can do everything by the book, and it can still go to custard. And that is the nature of sport, and that is the nature of being a human and not being having variables and, and things in your life that you cannot control. You know, well, that's like exactly the- that's exactly it. Like think of think of your racing, right? I, I again, I think back of my days and competing in the triathlons. You could wake up that morning and it could be sixty degrees and rain, or yeah. it could be Death Valley, one hundred and five <laughs> degrees. Yeah, but you yeah. still have to go out and compete. You can't control that. And you know, another thing I think about. Tell me if I'm wrong. When it comes to ultra endurance racing. What it is, is is it's a series of a lot of failures over the course of the race. Yep. (laughs) And it's that ability to bounce back from, because right, people think, wait, you go out and literally run 50, 60, 70 miles straight? No, 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 no. If you said it to me, I think offline, ultra marathon racing is a combination of strategy of racing, walking, racing, walking, some dealing with mental failure. It's just that epic battle of getting to the damn finish line. Yeah. It is. It, it, it is. It is. You know, there's a saying in ultramarathon circles, if you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but just don't stop moving. You know, and, that, and that's about basically it. It's, it might not be pretty. It might not be beautiful. It might be completely ugly. But if you're still in the game and if you're still fighting forward, and as long as you can beat the broom wagon, you know, and the, the time limits, uh, you keep moving and you keep fighting. Um, and, and you will eventually get there and it can feel like an absolute eternity. And you're right, a hundred times, say within Death, Death Valley Race, there were times again and again where I completely broke, where I'm, you know, on the ground, crying my eyes out, I can't take another step, I can't carry on. And, and somehow you have a couple of minutes to yourself, you do a bit of stretching, you go to the loo, you put something in your mouth and then you stand back up again and you go again and somehow you manage to fight your way forward. And gosh, that teaches you so much. And you also learn to like compartmentalize things, you know, so that, and have an absolute massive one focus. I remember this wasn't a race. It was an expedition I did across the Libyan desert. Uh, This was a, um, a highly illegal crossing of the Libyan desert, <laughs> <laughs> a military barred zone. This was in my young years before I actually even got into ultras. I was into adventuring, and um, amazing, beautiful desert. Four of us, the boyfriend at the time, and and two other guys. And I had uh, we had only two liters of water a day because we could only carry that much. And we were talking forty odd degrees. We had to disappear from the oasis past the army. 
um, guys in into the desert. So really dangerous stuff. We had 35 kilo backpacks and I was like 59 kilos. So like, you know, this is pretty, I, I could, if I fell over the guys, I'd have to pick me up again and put me on my feet. And this deprivation of water, the, the thirst already after the first day uh, was, was horrific and our tempers were short. And the boyfriend at the time and I started having problems and squabbles and um, by day four, he decided that's it, the relationship's over and he's leaving me in the middle of the Libyan desert. And it had been a really difficult relationship to be fair, it was time it was over. Um, but it's not a good place to leave someone in the middle of a desert, right? When you, do, it, like it was life and death. I'm, I'm laughing about it, but it was life and death. We didn't know whether we were gonna survive. And he leaves me <laughs> with the other two guys but he leaves me and I don't know whether he's going to survive. I'm going to survive. We're all in deep trouble. We're dehydrated to the absolute max. And in that moment, I was like, I'm, I'm you know, broken. My, my relationship's broken down. <clears throat> and this was a different, different husband than the one who left me in Niger. That was different. <laughs> um, I seem to lose me in the desert. Um, so when he left, I broke down emotionally. And then I was like, hang on a minute. I cannot break down right now. I'm in the middle of the Libyan desert. I've got two other guys that I owe to get my ass off the ground and keep moving. And I learned to compartmentalize, to function, even though my world emotionally was falling apart, but to keep moving and to keep going and to pull myself together. You can fall apart down the road when you're at home in your bed. You can't fall down and fall to pieces when you're in the war zone or in the battle. You've got to keep going. Well, and, and most... And most people right now don't find themselves in a dangerous part of the Libyan desert, but they find themselves in the middle of the COVID pandemic Yeah, where so many want to give up, right? Yeah. So many want to just, like you said, let the emotional side take over. They can't compartmentalize, you know, as we dive into your coaching business now, what would you say those lessons of your life? I mean, whether it's the adventuring, the ultra marathon racing, what lessons do you now take into your coaching world to help people have success? Oh, all of the above, like all the stuff that I've been mentioning and the mental, the mental side of my coaching. So we have a, a company called Running Hot Coaching where we do online run training for, for people. But we, and we have 700 athletes all around the world that we coach. But we also do mindset coaching. We do health coaching and all the rest of it. And the biggest piece of the puzzle is the mindset. And, and same with our corporate clients. It is about understanding who you are, how you function best, because this is another uh, area of, that I um, am trained in is epigenetics and studying functional genomics. And this is all the study of genes and how they affect your personality. And this is an area that's totally fascinating because we all process things differently. The way I process a negative stimuli, something horrible, some trauma, will be completely different to the way the, the person next to me uh, handles it because they have different chemicals in their brain doing different things. So it, you need to, as a coach, understand um, that type of personality, how to motivate that person. And we are all different and that's fine. You don't have to be like me and uh, operate like me. So it's understanding who you are, accepting who you are, and then applying the stuff that's going to motivate you in the way that's going to get you through. And that's up to you to, to work that out. And that's, you know, what we do as coaches is help you understand how your brain works, how your body works best, 
what food does the best thing, what, you know, all of those aspects of, of understanding your own genes. So that's a big piece of the puzzle is accepting who you are and then working with what you have. Another piece of it is just really the, the understanding that you are capable of so much more than what you think. And, and that, you know, people say that, but I know that, I've seen that. I've seen people with, you know, her blind running across the Sahara. I've seen people with one leg running across Death Valley. I've seen people with multiple sclerosis on crutches doing the marathon sablets. I've seen crazy things and people who have beat the odds, who have not let life beat them, who have had broken backs and then come back from, from, that, from those injuries to do this sort of stuff. And those are the people who are role models for me, not the ones who tell me, oh, you can't do that and that's impossible. And that, that brings me to a, a situation that I had with my mum. Yeah, I want, I want to go there because yeah. I think one thing I, I want to say before you get into that, if you don't mind, is in the coaching world, you know, I know I've dealt with it and so many I think others have that are coaches is the imposter syndrome. And oh, it's the, oh, am I really, uh, am I really good at what I coach? Do I know what I'm talking about? Are they going to yeah. find out I actually don't know anything? <laughs> and I think when you get those proofs of, holy shit, this works, <laughs> is when you have those breakthroughs of the value you bring to people. And I think there's not a better story out there than what you helped your mom through. So yeah, if you don't mind sharing this, uh, it's, it's truly magical. So, so the stage is yours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, just before I go into that, yes, the, the, the imposter mindset, I've experienced it, you've experienced I still, ongoing, it's that little voice and that's that programming that you had as a young child that told your teacher that told you you were too dumb or you, you weren't very good at sport or whatever it is, that programming, that little voice. Understand that that's not you and that's not real and that even the top guys and the top athletes and the top rock stars and the top all have this imposter syndrome, yep. unless they're, um, you know, megalomaniacs and they may be not, but most of us have that little voice. Yes. Understand it, just tell it to go away and I hear you, but I'm not listening and, you know, be done with it. Yep. Nobody is the expert in everything, but you have a value to share. And you, you and I were talking about this last week. Uh, you know, what can I teach, you know, was our, originally our problem why we didn't share our stories and our, and our experiences. Well, who am I? I'm not so-and-so. And I, you know, I'm not Dean Canassus. I'm not fast enough. Or, or therefore I cannot be a run coach. Oh, rubbish. You know, like I have a value to share and I have things that I can share. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not, but I can just share what I have. And I think, you know, that's a really good lesson. Now onto the story with mum. So four years ago, uh, four and a half years ago now, uh, my mum had a, a massive aneurysm in the brain, which is bleed in the brain. And when this happened, you know, that horrible phone call in the morning, mum's been rushed to hospital, she's collapsed, something major's going on. We get to the hospital and the, the, she was a, a medical misadventure, was ignored for six hours. They thought she had a migraine while she was actually dying of an aneurysm. Uh, which really put me on hyper alert. Once we got through that six hours and they did a CT scan and it came back with blood right throughout the brain. And they, then they started to rush and, and they didn't think she was going to survive. And that really put me on hyper alert. Like, okay, people make mistakes and I'm going to be hyper vigilant. If I get a second chance with my mum, I'm going to make sure that this sort of, you know, medical blunder doesn't happen again. And I'm going to, learn everything I, I, I can. And in that moment, I really started a journey that would take me into taking responsibility for your own health. 
taking control of what you can control and learning and researching. And so my mum was rushed to Wellington. She was operated on. They didn't think she was going to survive. She was in and out of a coma for the next three weeks in an absolute critical condition. Upshot of it was brilliant surgeons. They managed to save her life. But after the three weeks, she came out of the coma, but she had basically no higher function. Lights were on, but nobody was home. She had no ability. She had a couple of words. That was it. She had no memory. She had no ability to control any of her bodily functions. She was like a baby in a in a seventy four year old woman's body, and the prognosis was dire. You know, massive brain damage. And she was in hospital for three months. The doctors saw no progress. Um, and then I started to study everything I possibly could about brain rehab. And I was being told, look, she's not going to ever do anything again and so on and so forth. I picked up early on that she had sleep apnea because I was seeing in her signs of um, lack of oxygen, which I had experienced at altitude. And I was seeing the signs and symptoms in her. So that got me thinking along the lines of oxygen. And I got a sleep consultant in, into the hospital against the wishes of the doctors caused a big havoc in there, but I didn't care. Came back, yes, she has severe sleep apnea. So that was my first win. Once she got the uh, machine put on her, a CPAP machine to provide her oxygen at night and or, or air at night, um, she started to have tiny little improvements. And I was like, okay, what else can I do? Then I had a real fight with the system to get her home because they wanted to put her in a 24-hour care facility because they said there's no way in hell you're ever going to cope with her as a family. She's going to, you know, need round the clock care two people at all times and I was just like I am taking her home and you better get on board with this and give me the support that you can and it was a real battle against the system and I, I won that battle and I was told as I left the hospital you'll be back here in two weeks there's no way you're going to cope and I ended up throwing my two books at this one social worker and saying read those and you'll see who I am and I'm not leaving my mum in you know in this in this in, um, institution and I'm taking her home and I'm going to give it everything I have and so you're up against everybody telling you it's impossible it's impossible it's impossible you are never going to cope you're never going to make it okay so that's the stage that you're set in while I've been studying I've come across something called hyperbaric oxygen therapy now this is something that they use for divers when they uh, have dive accidents and it's a decompression chamber but what they found is if they put you on oxygen and then take you down the opposite way to being under more pressure that it is very beneficial for your health and it can hyper oxygenate the body and this can be very beneficial for brain injuries among uh, a plethora of other things a highly underrated therapy by the way if you've got anything to do with brain injuries cancers multiple sclerosis if you're an athlete and you want optimal performance, go and check out hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So anyway, I, I studied this. I studied under Dr. Harch in America, who is an expert, and I saw people with massive brain injuries recovering through this therapy. So I'm like, I have to get her access to one of these. Now, these don't grow on trees in my part of the world. Uh, and I found a commercial dive company that had one of these chambers, and they weren't allowed to do medical things and so on. But I said to them, look, I will take legal responsibility. Can you please, this is a research, would you please let me put my mum in this chamber? And these wonderful people agreed. I signed legal waivers uh, and so on. And as soon as I got her out of the hospital, this really fragile 74-year-old woman who can't do anything, who's just completely, you know, gone, I take her down to this big commercial 
fishing factory and I stick her in this hyperbaric chamber. We have to put her on a forklift to stick her in this machine because she can't move. Like, and everyone's thinking, I'm completely nuts. We put her through 33 treatments, five days a week for an hour and a half a day. After 33 treatments of seeing basically nothing, the chamber gets taken off for a contract. And in that time afterwards, she had a break from it. And all of a sudden, she started to wake up. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is working. And now I've started to, I've lost the chamber. So then I'm like, okay, what can I do? Right, I'm going to mortgage the house. I'm going to buy a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. This is not an easy thing to do or to get in my country. I overcame all the obstacles. I got the hyperbaric chamber. I installed it in my house. And I put her through another, over the next two and a half years, 250 sessions. And each one of these sessions is a mission to get her in and out. Okay, it's a real big job. As I did that, she started to wake up and started to come back, started to have a few words, started to, to she didn't just sit, suddenly stand up one day and start walking, but she started to have little bits of coming back. And then I started studying everything from the, you know, the keto diet for brain injuries to functional genomics to epigenetics to nootropics like brain enhancing drugs. I basically became a research scientist and just started to put an, my own program together of daily physio and all of these things that I was doing with her and it was a real multi-pronged approach and as an athlete I know how to run ultras right I know how to just get up every day and train and push and go and take the next step and take the next step even when you're seeing no progress for months on end and I would have times where she would just nothing was improving and I had to spend thousands and thousands of hours retraining her brain because she was like a toddler. So she didn't know how to find uh, her mouth to put food in. She didn't know how to push a button. She didn't know how to sit without falling over. She had none of these things. But with thousands of hours of retraining and this hyperbaric and the right diet and the right brain enhancing drugs and the right everything that I was doing, my mum started to come back. And to cut a very, very long story short, after three years, my mum was fully recovered. She is walking. She is, she walks five, uh, she, she goes to the gym five days a week. She has her full driver's license back. She has her full independence back. She has a full power of attorney over her life and her finances again. And that at the age of now, she's 78 and she's loving life and she's looking after a granddaughter and she's having, you know, a fantastic time. And this is the story of never giving up and of persisting against all the odds when the experts, the doctors, the people who know better than you are telling you there is no way forward. It's not always true. And we have access via the internet now to access the greatest minds on earth. We can research any topic we want to and become an, quite an expert in that. And, and this journey is really... Andy, I've, I've written a book called Relentless, yes. How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds, and I've just released this. And I, I really wanted to empower other people facing whatever crisis, doesn't have to be the same type of crisis, whatever crisis they're going through, whatever hardships they're going through, whatever uh, odds they're up against. I want the story to empower them and to give them a mindset framework to work with them to keep pushing forwards and to never give up. So, yeah, that was my story with my mum. Is it safe to say that your life has been about having people tell you you're crazy, that's impossible, and then you politely saying, bullshit, watch me? <laughs> Definitely. There was a t-shirt that I saw on Instagram the other day. Um, underestimate me. That'll be fun. <laughs> Got to buy that. And, well, and, 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 you know, 
I mean, not an arrogant way. I mean, no, like, no. It's just like everybody stop underestimating yourself and stop underestimating your neighbor and your kids and don't put your limitations because you don't know how to fix something does not mean that there is no thing in the world. And I hate this attitude, especially in the medical world where I don't know how to fix you. Therefore there is no, therefore you can't be fixed. It goes back to the tie. I mean, how closely tied take any specific race you've ever done to the journey you and your mom walk through, there are so many similar principles. Yeah. It's one, people telling you that you're crazy for even doing it or trying yeah. it. Number two, you have to surround yourself with positivity. Otherwise, there's no way you would have yeah. healed your mother. And number three, it's when people say, nope, there's no solution, you say, bull crap, and you keep digging. You keep you searching. Like you, yeah. you said about ultra marathon racing. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but don't stop. Yeah, don't stop moving, keep moving forward and find people who will support you. Surround yes. yourself with people who will say, yes, and this is what you and I both love as coaches, I think probably, is to get beside somebody and say, I believe in you. This is the way forward. Follow me. I know what I'm doing. Here's the framework, but I believe in you. And you watch them go when you believe in people. When you give them and they, when they respect you and they trust you and they trust your systems and your programs or whatever, and you say, I believe in you and this is the way to do it, off they go. And you will see them achieve. And I've seen this, you know, thousands of times now in my coaching career, people achieving stuff they never thought possible. Well, and I think, I think an aha you gave me about coaching is I think there's a lot of people who seek the coaching as the silver bullet. And I've mm. always believed no coaching will ever work if you don't work. But, yeah. but to that being said, I think there's also people who are seeking like, just give me the hack, right? Just give me the silver bullet. Give me the, yeah. the one thing I've got to do. But you said something earlier about coaching race runners. Yeah. Think about ultra marathon racing or Ironmans. If I'm going to coach somebody, yes, I can coach them how to run or bike or swim and I can give them workouts. But what if that person has a specific diet? What if that person has specific needs that they have? My coaching is going to have to be tweaked for that individual because yep. my one size fits all system won't work. Yep. And I think people think coaching is this one size fits all, but the yep. beauty of the coaching is being able to work with that individual person and their specific needs and tailoring your coaching to them to give them that clarity and confidence. Yep. And that's the future of, of all health and coaching and mindset is personalization. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, you can do that still within programs, sure. You know, sometimes we need to work in a, in a group environment for economic reasons or whatever, but you can still personalize it to some degree. And, and you know, what you said there, um, oh, what was it you just said there before about um, underestimating what you, what you can achieve? I've lost, I've lost the... <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Rain's not functioning. I need more coffee. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I like, you know, when you have clarity and confidence, and I think that's what the right coaching gives you, you're going to take yeah. action. I firmly believe if somebody's not taking action right now, they're either not confident in their ability to do so, or they're lacking clarity in some part of their life or their business. Yeah. You give them both, and they can, when those two come together, people take massive action. And, yeah. and surrounding... 
yeah, you need that strength to take. Like when, when someone plants seeds of doubt, and I've seen this in my my, my time, my, my life, myself, when they, they tell you, they, they plant the seeds of, well, you're not, you're not going to achieve that. You're not, well, you do start to doubt yourself and you don't take massive action. Yep. And um, I mean, I, uh, what I just remembered what I forgot was that magic bullet thing. That is massive. That's a massive problem that I have as a coach. When I, when I, when I work with someone and they want me to give them, what can you do for me? Well, I can do jack shit for you. I'm sorry. I can't do anything. I can show you the way. I can, but you have to be motivated. And when you aren't motivated to actually go and research and, and uh, uh, take, I can give you a push in the right direction. I can give you some guidance. I can pick you up along the way when you fall down and all that sort of jazz. But you have to do the work. And that, that mentality that I think, again, has come through from the medical side, partly where you go to the doctor, you get a little white pill, you swallow that pill, and I'm good to go. And that is not how health works. Yeah. And no. when you do that and you, you, you take one drug and then you end up on the second drug to combat the, the side effects of the first yep. drug, and, and uh, you know, not, not beating up on the medical profession because they do some fantastic stuff, don't get me wrong, but it, it, this approach, this magic bullet, this magic pill approach to anything in life is, is dangerous because it, it takes away the self-responsibility. You know, well, and it kind of goes back to your coaching with the endurance racing. I, you can probably give people a game plan. You can help them mentally. You can't go run the race for them, though. No, and then they'll <laughs> – what, what gets me is, I, you know, you have to pick the people because some people will just blame you anyway. Yep. Your system didn't work. No, you didn't do the work. Correct, I you bingo. I did, but if you have to be the athlete actually on the day, I can't go and run it for you. Exactly. I can't actually do the training for you. You have to actually do all of that. And if you're not willing to go and I can, you know, present you with all the, the your your information about your genes, but you're the one that has to go and change your diet and your lifestyle. And exactly. Your I can tell you what to do. So let, let's wrap it up here. Um, you, heard, you heard Lisa talk about the book Relentless. That's your newest book of three yep. that has come out. You're also the author of Running Hot yep. and Running to Extreme. So do yourself a favor. Go get those books. I'll put them in the show notes. Uh, easy links to go purchase those books. You know, let's wrap up the coaching side of this, Lisa, with number one, whether it's Running Hot Coaching or Lisa Tomate Coaching, who's your ideal client and how can they best get a hold of you? Um, for, for us, is, well, runners, one thing, anyone wants to do that, we're, that's a no-brainer, obviously. Um, but we also work with just uh, corporates and individuals um, wanting to understand their genes and how to get the best out of their own bodies. And I'm, you know, in this journey with mum, that's, I, it sent me down that rabbit hole of epigenetics and, and functional genomics. And I, and I love this area because it allows me to personalise uh, things to 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 the individual. So anyone who wants to optimize their health, who wants to take control, who wants to look at prevention, uh, who wants to look at mindset, we do. We have courses in mindset and all of those other things, the epigenetics and the running, and the corporate wellness. So, you know, we have a lot of different, uh, a wide variety of clients, and and that's what makes our job interesting. And I love working with it. And we work remotely, you know, with people all around the world. So it's not just in our country. So if, if anyone wants to come and check us out, come over to lisatamati.com. That's T-A-M-A-T-I. And Andy will no doubt put that in the I'll notes. I'll put that in the notes as well. Um, yeah, really appreciate that, Andy. Any, any last words for the listeners? Yeah. I just want to tell you one, you know, you don't always succeed 
you know, like I told you the story with my mum. I told you how we had this incredible comeback story. I know that I could have thrown everything at that and still failed. So I don't want you to go out and think, oh, there is only positivity on the other side of hard work. Because I've had failures and recently I lost my dad because, you know, I threw everything at it and nature was stronger than me. So we don't always win the game. But you have to go all in. And if there's one thing I want you to take away, it's these last words. When you take something on, go all in. Commit fully to the cause. Give it your 100%. If you're going to go, this trying something out isn't going to work. You're going to have to go full ball for whatever big challenge that you want to take in. So go all in. Be persistent. Be resilient. That's awesome, Lisa. Thank you so much. I mean, there's not a better way to wrap this up because I truly believe when you tell the universe you're committed and you're going all in, magical shit happens. And life is one one big, long endurance marathon, right? And so you're going to have failures, you're going to have, you're going to have heartbreaks, but you have to keep running. And if you can't run, keep walking. If you can't walk, keep crawling, but never stop. Keep moving forward. And you guys listening in, you know, when confidence and clarity collide, action happens. Go make it happen today. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Andy. Hey, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you're finding bullpen sessions to be valuable to your business and your life, do me a favor. Please go to Apple. Please subscribe. Give it a five-star rating. And if you have anybody else in your life, whether it's in your personal tribe or in your business that could also be impacted by listening to these episodes, do me a favor. Share the bullpen sessions with them. I'd be extremely grateful. And until next time, go out, make it happen today. Put a smile on your face and have some fun.